Before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that it is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace is the easiest way to create a beautiful website, blog, or online store for you and all the amazing ideas that you have in your head. Squarespace features an elegant interface, beautiful templates, and incredible 24-7 customer support. You should try Squarespace at squarespace.com. You enter the code WORDS, W-O-R-D-S, at checkout, you get 10% off, and it helps support the show. Squarespace, build it beautiful. Now, on with today's show. Welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I'm your host, Ray Harkins, ever-present to bring you, the listener, some interesting and insightful dialogue around independent music in the form of an interview. You know, sometimes I like to remind people that might not listen to every episode what this show is all about. I try to get to the core of who these people are that have dedicated their lives to either creating music, putting out music, or just being creative. Because after all, that's kind of what... Everybody has that itch inside of them. They got to get out somehow. And I just happen to focus on on music and how much it's changed my life and all the people I bring on the show. So anyways, the guest this week is Fred Feldman from Triple Crown Records. You know, a little record label that has released some amazing stuff from, uh, you know, brand new and so many other things. I'll let him do most of the pimping and talking in regards to what he has put out. But this is a special month, all of July. I know... Some of you who follow the show religiously enjoy these months when I cluster up guests that are all kind of under one specific discipline. So this is record label month. And this is very near and dear to my heart because I've worked at a lot of record labels over the years of me being involved in independent music. And I've had a lot of friends run record labels. And I was like, you know what? This seems to be an appropriate thing. I get a lot of requests for people being like, hey, why don't you interview this guy who does this label? Or how about you interview this girl who does this record label? And I was like, you know what? Let's just run through it, make it all a month and make it a thing. So that's what we're in right now. July is record label month. You will have five weeks full of content from labels that are currently active, labels that may be active in other countries or labels that are defunct but were incredibly important to our music scene as a whole. So anyways, that's that's my pitch. Hopefully you like it. And if you don't, well, then just don't listen to these these episodes or just don't listen to my show. You know, that's, uh, that's your choice. It's free. So <laughs> got to speak about this first and then we'll talk about Fred and go into the interview. So I went to Warp Tour recently. And uh, for those of you that are not familiar, it is a music festival that takes place every summer run by a fine gentleman named Kevin Lyman and his crew of awesome people. And um, this year I was incredibly excited for multiple reasons. I was I was very busy that day, had a lot of work to do from my day job perspective, from the record labels I help perspective, and there's just a lot of stuff going on. And um, while it was incredibly draining, incredibly hot, it was still super fun. I was able to see only a few bands, but I plan on going to the festival again in August when it comes through Southern California again, plan to make a drive down to San Diego and hang out with some friends. But you have to think that, the, I mean, it's it's a thankless job, like what Kevin and his crew do, because, you know, I mean, yeah, bands are appreciative and that's, it's, there are positive benefits for it, especially from a financial standpoint as well. But I just often think about the work that I personally did in a music festival for a few years and then I reflect on how much stress it takes for Kevin and his team to pull all this together. And, a, you know, whatever, a simple thank you. That's all I'm really saying. It's an incredible job that they do. And anytime I'm able to be in the orbit of what it is that they do, I'm just always continually impressed. Because, you know, at the end of the day, Kevin doesn't need to do it year after year, but he cares. He really, really cares. And it's awesome to see that. It's, it's easy to see when you look at the tour because it, it evolves it's changed over the years different bands play he takes risks on artists that don't particularly make sense in the context of warp tour and i don't know there's just a lot of respect i have for what they're doing so just want to make sure that you're aware of that as well and if you don't live in this country hopefully you get a chance to at least experience warp tour in some capacity whether you're traveling or making a trip to the united states or you see it in the united kingdom whatever as long as you have a general awareness of it 
It's awesome. It's a great thing. And one of these days I'll have Kevin on the show. I promise. A lot of people have asked for him as a guest, but <clears throat> I digress. Here's Fred. Fred Felmid has a long history within the context of the music industry. I've known him for a while, just specifically with the Triple Crown stuff, but I was really interested in his life before that because he helped build a record label that was very influential from the sort of, you know, warp Tour music scene, but then also it has expanded even farther past that with Triple Crown, and then he has a history even before that within independent music as well. And so, yeah, I don't know. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty incredible. He was a little reluctant. I was emailing with him. You're like, Hey, would you be interested in appearing on the podcast? And he's like, I don't know. I generally don't do these things. But then Fred was like, you know what? I want to do this. This should be fun. So here's our conversation. And I will talk to you at the very end of the show. Enjoy. I remember when I, uh, you know, when I first started to work at Century Media when I was, I don't know, whatever, 21, 22 years old, um, it was one of those things like watching uh, or, or looking at Triple Crown and seeing what you guys were doing, essentially kind of late 90s, early 2000s, where it was like, uh, y- y- I mean, your roster made no sense whatsoever. Like, and this is a, a yeah. Yo- I mean, as far as like, oh, yeah, this was the same label that put out, uh, you know, 25 to life and folly and then they also put out hot rod circuit like I, i'm sure people that obviously do some research look back at the label and are just like fred what it what is all this stuff dude um <laughs> was that was that out of a, a function of just like your own personal taste or was that just like you you tried to definitively show showcase the fact you can't pigeonhole the label i think it was definitely not wanting to be pigeonholed some of it definitely is music it, it it's it's got an extension of my taste, which is extremely eclectic. Um, and, you know, it's uh, it, it, having an eclectic mix of music is a double-edged sword. You know, you, you, you kind of, you're never going to get kids who are just like so committed to the label sound and they're just going to take chances. Um, but I think it also allows you to take chances. So uh, and go sign things that you find intriguing, and uh, and that's really why we did it the way we did it. I definitely can understand where you're coming from. Where it's like it's 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 easier to uh, you know kind of have a, a blank canvas. To obviously, like at this point, you know you can sign any band from basically any genre of independent music, and people will be like, oh, okay. Um, like that's I mean, yeah, it may not make sense next to this band, but like, I get it. Like he just likes this and he wants to put this out. Yeah. And I mean, if you go back to the beginning to 97, it's like our first two records, it was 25 to life and the stubborn all All stars, which was a traditional ska record. It wasn't a ska punk record. It's very traditional ska. And, uh, you know, that kind of set the tone for the lunacy, I think. Um, so, uh, you know, totally different, audiences totally different sonically couldn't be farther apart but i think the brand was they were both just hard-working bands who had an audience that we felt we can build on i i have to ask just out of curiosity's sake was uh was dealing with rick to life as entertaining as i would imagine it would be yes <laughs> rick was great i mean the only you know the reason rick signed with me is because i was at another i was i used to be at profile records and profile uh, I ran profile records for years and they had, when I was going to leave there, the owner said, start, you know, I, I went to profile way, but way back in the day because of rock hotel. Um, you know, the first wave of what the success of our Corey Cromag, Murphy's law mm-hmm. leeway. Um, and he said, you can start a label, stay run, run profile. And so I also, you know, was lucky enough to kind of make some mistakes on someone else's dollar. For, just to be honest, yep. and uh, and when Profile was sold, uh, th- that label was being shut down. But I had been talking to Rick before about signing him to uh, it was called Another Planet. So I went to Rick and I said, "Hey, I'm going to start my own label. Are you any chance you want to sign with me?" And Rick was like, "Sure," <laughs> you know, because Rick, being Rick, was like, "Yeah, okay." And uh, and then we made that's when we made the strength and uh, and he was Rick was. It was, it was surprisingly hassle-free. Which, so, which, and, which, and entertaining. <laughs> and, and, and 
and just sometimes just in the most bizarre situations that uh, just no, it just like wow, Rick, really? Right. You know, going to rent a van for him uh, was amazing, and it just I, I do have a lot of Rick stories, but uh, and all of them always put a smile on my face for the most part. Right. Well, yeah. Anybody that obviously has any historical context for you know hardcore in general, it's like there's no way that you can't have lived through the '90s and not have a Rick to life story because that's just who he was. He, he, t- he touched everybody in a good or bad way, and that's fine. Exactly. And I don't know if like kids in the hardcore now really kind of understand that who Rick really was, and and the guy was a hard worker. I mean, for everything may be said, whatever it is, everybody's had different situations, but that guy worked hard. Oh, absolutely. So, uh, so it was uh, it was amusing, and uh, you know, we put out some coming correct records. I really, I mean, I think Strength Through Unity is really just a fantastic. That EP is great, and I thought it set the tone. And uh, I really was hoping, you know, friendship, loyalty, commitment was uh, was good and has its moments, but I don't think it, it stands up to the EP. Um. So we'll we'll get to the your your history in the music industry in a little bit, but I want to back up even further. So you uh, you strike me as a born and raised East Coast dude. Am I correct in that assumption? That is correct. Okay. Oh, always in in the New York area. Yes. Okay. Like where in particular? Uh, I mean, I was born in Brooklyn, but you know, before uh, way back when, and uh, you know, grew up on Long Island, um, kind of before that whole like real scene exploded. Uh-huh. Uh, and then back into New York and, uh, you know, still out in this area. Actually, back on the island wasn't my plan, but, you know, families, kids, all that stuff. So, uh, so yeah, you know, when we started the label, we were based in Manhattan, and uh, we're just outside of Manhattan now. And uh, Yeah, yeah. Would, you, yeah. would you ever entertain the idea of moving to, like, California or anything like that? I mean, not, maybe not at this point, but, you know, through, <laughs> through your, your, uh, your, your, your duration of, of working or just living, you know? Because there, there seems to be a distinct, like, oh, pff, I could never live in California. Oh, no, no way. Like, do you have that attitude? I am one of those people. Okay. <laughs> the, the, and, and the opportunity has presented itself through, for the family and whatnot. And, uh, you know, it just, it wasn't something I think the only for I really, but I think she would have gone, but not me. Right. Yeah. You'd be like, yeah, you could move out there. I'm not. <laughs> yeah. And that wasn't going to happen. Of so, course. uh, so yeah, so it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's been okay. Yes. And then, uh, so what was your, uh, you know, what were your parents into as far as like, uh, you know, what were their jobs? Like what was your family structure like as you were growing up? Do you have brothers and sisters? Yeah. I mean, you know, stable household, uh, nothing in the entertainment business, you know, garment center family, uh, very traditional upbringing, one sister, nothing out of the ordinary. Sure. Just me as a, uh, a lunatic metalhead. That was the, I was the, I was the black sheep. Sure. So that you, uh, you dove in headfirst to the, uh, I presume kind of the, the, the eighties metal scene as it were. Very much so. Very very into metal, and then somebody played, I forgot, I think it was MYU, where Jack Rabbit had his show. Uh, fuck, what was the name of it? I can't remember. It was Thursday night. And uh, I kind of, I went to high school with uh, Lyle Eisen, who was the drummer in Doc Domin, and uh, was, he played in the hardcore group. It was two, my two introductions to hardcore came from Lyle, who was in a group called The Misguided, and then uh, Danny and uh, Paul were in Heart Attack, Jesse mm-hmm. Malin's group. Right. And they took me to shows that I was like, I was in my first show was like Mob and Heart Attack. That's how far back I go. Right. Um, and I was kind of like, oh, what is this? This is wild. Um, and that kind of opened up that door from, you know, loving metal to looking for something harder, finding the bad brains, uh, finding agnostic front and that stuff. You know, like you said, you were the kind of the, the black sheep where your, your parents pretty terrified of the, you know, the aesthetic and the look and the music that you were kind of bringing home and they just didn't know what to do with you. <laughs> yeah. For the most part, I think they kind of just were like, he'll grow out of it, you know, and I, I definitely did, you know, uh, but I think that they just always had music was like really important to me and, you know, played around in high school in bands and whatnot, terrible bands, terrible metal cover bands and stuff. And, uh, you know, knew I didn't have the talent for it whatsoever. Um, but, you know, I think that they, they definitely allowed that passion to kind of grow. Sure. Sure. So what, and when you, when you mentioned that you played in bands, that was actually a question I was going to ask. Um, cause you know, usually the, uh, <laughs> whatever the saying, you know, those who, 
can't do teach or whatever, you know, and I equate that to, you know, releasing music or whatever. So what did you, what, yeah. in, what instrument did you uh, find that you uh, did not have the proclivity to uh, continue your band career at? Oh, guitar. Just yeah. terrible. <laughs> I mean, you know, can play a chord, can play chords, can still play a couple of those songs, but, uh, you know, just, it was not, I mean, this is also kind of the early stages of like, hall shows and all those i mean who knows what would have happened if you know there wasn't the kid promoters putting on the show at the vfw hall when i kind of was into this stuff it was definitely more arena rock mm-hmm. the cbs the uh seven you know the stuff in the lower east side was just starting in the city right so it wasn't it wasn't so, ex- it wasn't accessible for you to be able to be like oh yeah let's put on our own show because that doesn't make sense yeah it wasn't like when i got back in college where you know the PWAC was going on long island and things like that Right, right, You right. know, Deja One show, you know, all that whole scene. Sure, sure. Yeah, ABC No Rio and all that stuff starting to exactly. blossom. And so then uh, as you were going through high school, did you uh, apply yourself, Fred? Were you a good student? Did you kind of care about the, uh, the, the, that aspect or were you more interested in the social aspect of hanging out? Uh, you know, definitely not a passable student. Let's just put it like that. I, the, the effort was minimal. You know, I, I, I see it in my kids now. <laughs> like... <laughs> You know, you apply yourself, you'll do much better. So, you know, there was moments of like, oh, shit, I got to get, I got to really do this. And then there was moments of like, show up, get the, you know, packs, and that's enough. Right, right. What's, yeah, what's the, I do find a common thread, especially people that, you know, get consumed by independent music like like you and I do, where it's like, you kind of try to find the level of acceptability with your parents where it's like, okay, they get really bummed if I get a C, but what if I get a, like a B minus? Like, is that okay? Like what, what, what can I bring home that won't get them mad at me? Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. You know, and it was, uh, yeah, it was good. And it's funny cause you didn't have the distractions that there are now with, you know, the internet and every social media and all this stuff at your fingertips. It was probably just pure laziness. Yeah, no, for sure. Well, no. I, I, I think that it also has to do with kind of the, the restlessness as well, where it's like you want to focus your energy on something, but like you just can't really find that thing. Definitely, you know, mind distracted, uh, definitely thinking of other things, but, uh, you know, managed to graduate, get into a halfway decent, well, no, a good school and uh, kind of find my way. Sure. Yes. You know, as you started to go through school and like went to went to college, what were you trying to uh, you know study, or what was your focal point? Did, was it like, hey, I want to do something with music, or were you kind of taking a different path and then you got pulled into it? I think I wanted to be around music on some level. Uh, realizing the business side was intriguing. You know, I didn't. I, I think it's more of an opportunity of like you can make your mark even in high school where you can create something, whether you're that local promoter who's willing to take a chance, putting a record out by friends of yours you feel passionate about. There was those things. My, my kind of entree into that world when I was in high school was I was a photographer. And, you know, this is the days of, like, the, the Xerox fanzines and stuff like that. This wasn't like I'm shooting for my blog. Right. So sh- shot for a bunch of stuff and got into some kind of, interesting fanzines that were impactful, whether it was like damaged goods in the East coast or like, uh, you know, Brian Slago owns metal blade had a fanzine, you know, about metal stuff. And I was shooting like British bands that were coming over that I was passionate about and, uh, realized like, wow, this is interesting. You know, I'm kind of, I'm doing something in the business, even though I kind of have no right to do this. So when I got to college, I was started to not necessarily from the classroom side, but from the, there is opportunities here to learn the business side, whether it was the college radio station, uh, working for the concert board, things like that. Right, right. And as school progressed, got more involved in it and realizes, like, I was, run, you know, I was running the concert board at Syracuse. Like, I'm running a business here, um, so there is something here. And, you know, but I'm still a, a student. Mm-hmm. So it was trying to find that balance. Sure, sure. So is that is that where you went to to school, Syracuse University? Indeed, I am an orange. You are an orangeman through and through. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but I think it's an important point you hit on there, where it's like a lot of the times you don't even realize you're doing something that is kind of giving you the quote unquote training or life skills or whatever you want to call it, because you're just trying to participate. You know, like you're mm-hmm. you're building something, whether you're even cognizant of it or not. 
Yeah, exactly. And you're getting experience. You know, you kind of you're having fun, and you kind of one day you realize, like, I'm getting some real experience here, real life experience. I mean, I think that was the best thing. You know, it, it, I think there's two ways to view college. You know, you can go and if you're going to something with a higher calling, whether it's you know lawyer, doctor, something like that, scientist. Yeah, the academics are very important. Otherwise, it's the experience. And you know, can you go someplace that's kind of a a microcosm of the world and try to get some real life experience, but still be sheltered. Um, so, uh, or you just go right into the workforce and just figure it out. Right. Yeah, no, that's, it's, it's an important point. Yeah. I never thought about it from like the, the, the academics versus experience. Cause that's, you know, that's the whole, whatever nature nurture argument. It's the, it's, it's that same idea over and over. Mm-hmm. And so it, just because you were kind of, you know, on the, uh, the ground floor as it were, obviously as, the New York City scene started to, you know, take place and manifest itself. Everyone obviously always speaks about the the violence and the craziness and stuff like that. Was that uh, your experience as well? Did you notice that, or was it just kind of like, oh, there were some isolated fights or whatever? But I, I, you didn't get consumed by that because you you don't you don't strike me as a violent guy, but. <laughs> But, Not at all, the least. Okay. So, but did you did you notice that, or was there an air of of uh, I guess, for lack of a better term, danger around there, or was it just kind of like, oh, I guess this is weird? Yeah, I definitely think that you know, because because I kind of got introduced to it in the like mid eighties, uh, and I went away to school, and I kind of came back, and it was you know the early nineties. So I think you know, in the beginning, it was ignorance is bliss. You definitely saw violence, but I never felt it. I mean, you know, at that time. Going down to CB's was like, that shit was crazy in its own right. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, when I go to a show at Palladium on 14th Street, that was crazy. Um, so I think, you know, it's youth. It's like, they, I, I never was bored. I, mean, I never was fully immersed in the scene and spending all my time there. I'd just go to shows. Um, so, you know, and then when I kind of started working at Profile and, you know, the Chrome makes the record, they can perceive them and you spend time with them. You're like, John's a good guy. You know, uh, Harley's scary, but he's an all right guy. So, and Jimmy, you know, the, the reputations preceded him, but once you knew him, you're like, these are good guys. You show them respect and fine. <laughs> no, totally. Yeah, meeting all those people, the course of, of, of business and professional dealings as well. Like, you know, when I was working with Sick of It All at Century Media, it's, it's one of those mm-hmm. things where it's like, here, you know, whatever, here's me, 22, 23 years old, and it's like, I, you know, I, even though sick of it all, you know, isn't notoriously violent. I was just like, they're coming from a whole different scene than I am. And like, you have those expectations and then you talk to them and you're just like, oh, they're just dudes. Like that's, that's all they are. Exactly. Like, yeah. Um, and so then, so as, as you, as you came back to New York city, um, did you have, uh, like, you know, was, was there a job waiting for you there? Was there something that you were kind of like no. angling to get, to get into? I, I gotta be honest, graduated, couldn't figure out. I'm like, what do I do? Cause I didn't, I didn't take the route of internships over the summers cause I needed to work to get some money for school. So I never had that route of like every summer I was interning somewhere, um, kept beating the pavement, talked to anybody who would talk to me, you know, friends of friends, friends of family. And uh, I got to the point where I started calling a couple companies where I had a slight entree and saying, I'll work for free, you know, just give me an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so that's when profile, like, uh, they, they allowed me to work for free in the mailroom. And uh, that was how records, uh, like, you know, after, like, commit to closing every day and, uh, you know, did that. At some point, they put me on salary and, you know, started in the mailroom and literally worked my way up. Got it. Yeah, you did, you did the whole uh, pay your dues, sweat equity thing of, of figuring out how things work from, like you said, the ground up. Exactly. And, you know, again, I, 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 hip-hop was kind of just started exploding. Was one of the biggest indie labels out there. Um, this is after Run DMC. Is before Tougher Than Leather, um, and I just really liked that Rock Hotel stuff. Chris Williamson was like a character, and nobody cared there. And I was like, I care. So, uh, and there was always at odds between Profile and Rock Hotel, even though Profile owned it. So, I my grand idea was like, I'm going to be the guy that's going to make this right. I'm going to be the guy that gives a shit, and that's going to be my stamp on this thing. And it was sort of unfixable, um, but the bands knew they had an ally in there, and it was not. It was like, it was like it, it, music business horror story for those guys. Like they definitely 
didn't get a fair shake. I mean, those records did very well, but, uh, you know, I felt bad for them. It was certainly kind of, I think it set the tone for kind of how I run my company, um, how to treat artists and, uh, you know, but it was good experience and, you know, ended up more on the rap side for years. I think that's a really important point and, and fact about your life is the fact that it's like, you know, cause a lot of people, I mean, especially whatever, if you look at obviously hip hop and R and B these days, it's like, you know, a, you couldn't be more different than what it was obviously in the you know early nineties, um, to where it was, there's, you know, a distinct edge to it. Um, you could obviously still find that, but I, I just think the sort of, you know, well-roundedness of a person in regards to their, not only, like you said, their, your own diverse music tastes, but the fact that you're willing to kind of, you know, roll your sleeves up and be like, well, yeah, like I'm not, you know, I wasn't initially immersed in the hip-hop world but now i you know there's enough comparisons where i could see where it's like well yeah music is music regardless of of who's creating it and what it sounds like it's i'm still passionate about it exactly i mean i remember someone telling me when i was looking for a job he's like listen i'm going to give you the best advice anybody's going to give you and i'm like really and he said go to nashville he's like nashville is the freaking easier you'll have a career in that step i couldn't do i was like hmm i thought about it and i was like just i can't do it Right. And I'm glad I didn't, but because uh, that point, that was purely a country. Yeah, no, that, that, totally. That there, you were not getting any sort of uh, alt-country tip to that. It's just pure country. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and so you mentioned, I think it's interesting, the, the fact that you were able to kind of, you know, see how there was that sort of, you know, gold rush of, uh, you know, hip hop in the early 90s when, when things just started to crack and obviously artists were signed to deals that, you know, weren't necessarily beneficial to them in the long run. Like, yeah, they may have got a large advance, but um, that's it. Like, they weren't going to see anything else in the back end. Um, so, you, did you did you have that that notion of kind of you know, oh, the music industry is this evil thing and trying to exploit artists beforehand, and then and then you, it was kind of confirmed with that, or were you kind of like you know, uh, I guess ignorant to that fact, and then you saw it and it was like, oh wow, like this this doesn't seem, I guess, quote unquote, right. Yeah, I mean, I think I was learning on the job. Let's just put it like that. You know, I didn't, I, I didn't necessarily love the idea of like these artists, you know, sign with you, take, you know, take that journey with you, and then you kind of don't talk to them. You, you, you know, you don't pay royalties on time, that kind of stuff. And I'm not saying that happened. I'm just saying I've seen it. So, uh, right. you know, it was, just, it was definitely to me. I think that the communication was one of the things that bothered me most, that you just won't talk to this person. Oh, interesting. You know, give, you know about the career and stuff. And, and granted, it cuts both ways. I mean, you know, there are, and I'm sure you've seen this over the years too, you know, artists sometimes are very unrealistic. And, you know, what I've found, like when they're screaming about something, it's like, you know, this isn't happening and this isn't happening. And you kind of, you when everybody catches their breath, you're like, what would you do differently? And usually... Sometimes they don't even have that answer, you know, because everyone's judging themselves on what the other guys are. Totally. No, so. I, 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 the, the, the thing that I've always said uh, is very similar to your point. Most of what the business of entertainment as a whole is, is just managing expectations. It's mm -hmm. It's as long as you and the party that you are working with understands the kind of common goal and the steps that are in front of you to be able to take those and then hopefully get to that point as long as those steps aren't are mutually agreed upon. And of course they'll divert and, you know, move around. But that's when you, like you said, it kind of gets off the rails and the communication breaks down when two parties start to work together. And one person is like, Oh yeah, well I'm this band. And you're like, well, I didn't, I didn't sign you because you were this band. I signed you because you were this band or whatever. So it's, yeah, managing expectations. That's a very uh, good point. Exactly. So, you know, you saw, you saw a lot of stuff, and not just profile, just in the business side in general. You know, it was an interesting time for indie labels at that time, and it was a lot of success for some of these companies, and most of them got gobbled up by majors. But uh, it, was a good, it was a good learning experience. Got, you know, experience in everything from working pop radio to MTV when MTV played music videos to, you know, touring to uh, urban radio manufacturing sales. And so I, I think that was the best thing about being, and, and it's why I like independent companies because it's not like they're big companies where you have a department, you stay in your lane, you know, and at an indie, especially ones that are doing okay or successful, you kind of have your hands in everything. And, and that's the best way to learn. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a great point. I, I think that's the only way that you truly um, 
can understand uh, the, the the business as a whole. It's like, yeah, you could have maybe like, okay, I don't know about college radio or I don't know about, you know, this one aspect of it, but it's like, well, everything else I've touched. And that's like, that's so important because then, yeah, if you ultimately want to like shift gears and do something else within the industry, you're, where do you start? You're like, well, I guess I'll, I'll intern. It's like, what? No, <laughs> you're, you're far, you're far enough along to where you shouldn't have to be doing that anymore. Exactly. So with the, um, how long were you at, at profile for? I think I was there 12, 13 years, something like that. A long time. Yeah. I I mean, that's a long run, especially with the, uh, you know, the, even though the, the, the music industry was, was obviously much different than what it is right now. Uh, people tended to still lose their jobs and have a high rate of turnover. Did you, did you just seem to have kind of a, I guess, a good relationship with, with management and people kind of generally trusted you? Yeah, I think it was a little bit of that. I think it was, I was, I got an offer to go somewhere else or was entertaining it. They would, you know, give me new responsibilities. And I thought that getting a better position and successful company was better than taking a step sideways in a big company. That really was it. You know, every time I was going to go somewhere, they'd kind of say, we'll do this. Because they, they, you know, it was a small staff and they wanted to know the people and trust the people in charge. And, uh, you know, I think that that's, that was really it. It's just opportunities kept coming. Yeah. No, that's, that, that's cool. And especially with the fact that you obviously, uh, you know, there's something to be said about loyalty because obviously you see so many people, you know, jumping to working at different labels and, you know, that's a positive thing, hopefully for them. But then there's, there's something to be said about, yeah, I'll, as long as you keep, you know, respecting me and you keep giving me cool things to work on, then why would I really change that? Yeah. And I like the music, you know, I definitely, you know, it was just good opportunity. I never thought, I never saw myself as, you know, forget about major label versus indie. I just thought those big systems was never like going to suit my personality. So, uh, that really like when I would get the opportunity to do something more, I would, I kind of just said, you know what, this is better in the long run. This is better. Never really thinking like one day I'll start my own company, but, uh, that was really it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I think it's something interesting you mentioned there where you were able to, uh, I guess, match your own personality or work ethic or whatever you'd like to call it with the fact that you knew you couldn't work within certain systems. Did, uh, was that just based off of like observations or was that based on the fact that you were like, Oh no, like, I'm pretty stubborn. I don't need, I don't need these. I I can handle one or two people telling me what to do, but I can't handle like seven people telling me what to do. Yeah. I think it was more observations. I think it was the idea that like, you know, like you said, with the, the major labels, there's constant, you know, changes. You get a new, there'd be a new president, white guy, everybody bring his team in and stuff like that. And I was like, it's not going to have that here. So you know, who knows? You, you never know. There were some interesting opportunities that were presented, but I kind of still like the people. I like the, I like the challenge of, of it. And, you know, I think anybody, does, doesn't matter, like when Hopeless had that number one record with all-time low, nothing makes me happier than an indie label kind of winning like that. So I think even, the, you know, and Pro was having some serious successful records, um, you know, gold and platinum acts, and we were totally part of it. Everybody, not you aren't like 77 down the line to make this happen. So I like that. Yeah, yeah. It was all hands on deck. Mm-hmm. Um, and so did you, obviously, as you started to develop, I guess, seniority over there and start started to, um, you know, have a cachet or clout, were you trying to, like you said, you, you came to Profile and you were like, hey, I would like to release, you know, heavy music is something I'm passionate about and here's here's some ideas. So when did that kind of come into play? Profile was sold to Arista Records. Actually, no, I got to take a step back. There were two owners of Profile and they split up. It was a nasty kind of split, and I was going to leave and go to another indie label. And the owner who was basically staying on said to me, please stay. You're going to be the GM. You're going to run the place, and you can start. If you want to start a rock label, be my guest. Just your focus is this. So I was like, holy shit, that's an amazing opportunity. So uh, we started Another Planet. We reissued like all the Murphy's Law, Chromagazine. We did that double CD thing with the book, and it were beautiful packages. And uh, went on to sign some weird shit. You know, that's when we did the first stubborn All Stars record. But like, I did an American Standard 
record, you know, not even understanding what am I doing? But that was a great record. Piss and Vinegar is a really good rock record. Uh, we saw, I re-signed Murphy's Law. Uh, we had a nice run with that and, and a whole bunch of other stuff, weird records, uh, you know, just finding my way. So, and in, in the same time, you know, overlooking a Run DMC project, the DJ Quick, uh, into the, you know, all these, like we were big on the West Coast at that point, West Coast rap. Right, right. Well, I, I mean, you, you also have a hand in, uh, I think, a comp that single-handedly changed my life, the Antimatter compilation, because that was on another planet, correct? That's right, Norm. I love that scene, and I just tracked Norm down. I said, we should release a record to go along with this, and Norm was like, okay. And, you know, I, Norm didn't really know, but that comp is, I'm, I'm so, one of my favorite things that I'm involved in. I, I, I'm not surprised because it, 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 it just it, not only does it reek of 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 him and obviously his own personal taste, but then like you could tell uh, on the other side, on the record label side, that care and focus was paid attention to it just because it's like there there are very few things that, uh, you know, you can kind of tell both parties are involved. Usually it's like, all right, well, yeah, the label put this out, but they didn't really give a shit. But like this, this you could tell where it's like, no, this is intentional. This is deliberate. They will both wanted to do this. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it, if I did that, that record would hurt now comment wouldn't have had the people of norm and he pulled stuff out that was like wow he got some gems on there and uh i love the look of the record um because i love the look of the, the zine you know with the, the aesthetic of it and i thought we you know i wanted to be really respectful for it and uh you know we got the right art direction and it came together it's great like so- norm just put it out on collect I, dude, between that comp and then the, even though this was a glorified sampler, this was still huge for me was the, like the revelation records in flight compilation that came out in like 97 mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. And it's like those to me, those, because obviously this is before the internet where that was just basically a curated mixtape where it's like, Oh yeah, here, here's some stuff. And then listening to it and just being like, Oh dude, I love garden variety and I love mouthpiece. Like, sure. Of course. Ah, garden variety. I love garden variety. <laughs> so, Hey, I've got to interrupt the show for a minute to talk to you about Squarespace. And not just because I have to, but because I want to. This is a product I love. So I'm sure most of you experience this. You know, your parents, they may not be technologically savvy. So a while back, my stepfather, he owns a vet clinic. And he was like, hey, you know stuff about computers. Can you help me get a website? And I was like, you know what? I can. And in less than 20 minutes... I had a fully functional website for him for the business. Showed it to him. He was like, wow, when did you learn how to code? And I was like, you know, just in my spare time and all that sort of stuff. I played it off because that's how amazing this website is. You don't need to have any coding experience necessary. You can dive right in and it looks professionally designed. No one will know unless you tell people that Squarespace helped you out from that perspective. But it's trusted by millions of people and businesses around the world and it'll cost you $8 a month, which is ridiculous. That's like nothing, comparatively speaking, to the empire that you are going to be building after you launch the website. You get a free domain name if you sign up for a year. That's incredible. So here, seriously, drop listening to this podcast. Start your free trial site today with no credit card required. They're not requiring that. That means you can play around, see if it's for you, but I promise it will be. So go to squarespace.com. And when you decide to sign up, for the service because you'll be blown away by all this amazing stuff that they offer you, please use the code WORDS, W-O-R-D-S, to get 10% off your first purchase. Seriously, there's no reason for you to not do something cool with your time and your life. Squarespace, build it beautiful. Now here we are, back to the show. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we did another one like that. We did. I got together with Jimmy, Jimmy G, Jimmy Gestapo. We did that Sunday Man Sunday Man right, right. You know, nothing was new, but it gave someone who just discovered hardcore what it was to kind of be, this is it. This is a representation of pretty much like a New York hardcore comp. And uh, I thought that was great. We did, you know, we did some really interesting stuff. We did like Creepy Crawl was a big thing in New York, and we, we did a live record. And those are the days. I mean, now you could put one of those out, and you're lucky if you sell a thousand copies. But those things were, uh, were intriguing and awesome. And so then, uh, as you did, basically, did you leave profile to, uh, like kind of directly into the sort of triple crown stuff or was there something else that kind of bridged that gap? 
No, I mean, I kind of profile was in the process of being sold. Uh, I was going to stay on the transition of it to uh, basically my, I knew it was over. Uh, I tried to buy the another planet catalog and I just realized like, ah, this is just crazy. I, I can't do this. So I, uh, I decided to start something fresh cause I knew that I could, I was going to be consulting for a certain period of time. And, uh, I started it, like I said, I'd been talking to Rick. I asked Rick to take that rod with me and he said, yeah. And then a stubborn all-stars record was done. So I went and licensed that because Jeff was down for, you know, he was ready to ride with me. And then the rest, we were just going to figure out. Right. So I literally, I just, I knew I had a little safety net in this consulting gig and, uh, Smoke and Mirrors went to Caroline, sold them on this disc. You know, I've got these records coming and, you know, got a advance and started it. Sure, sure. And, uh, and then the EP surprised everybody. I think we ended up selling like 25,000 copies of that, um, which for an EP is great, you know. And did fairly well. And then it kind of, then it was time to roll up our sleeves and sign new things and go. Sure. Was it, and you see, like, you strike me as a person, I mean, granted, we've never spent a ton of time together, but you've always struck me as uh, kind of a, you know, a confident person, uh, you know, a person who, uh, you know, in some respect, obviously believed in whatever vision it was that you were trying to, um, you know, build. Um, was it, was it one of those things like when you were, when Triple Crown first started, were you confident or were you just like, all right, dude, I, I'm going to, I'm going to act like I know what I'm doing. And then, hopefully other people following this or like, was it a mixture of both? It was a little mixture of both. I mean, you know, at that point I'd already had one kid. I, when I told my wife I wanted to start the company, she's like, she said, literally I called her. I said, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. She's like, okay, uh, we're having another kid. Awesome. Still doing it. Great news. Very excited. So, uh, you know, it was a little bit of, I'm going to do this. I, I think the, the only confidence I think I had was, I had spent years making someone a lot of money um, in profile records, in running that company smartly. We ran a smart business, um, tried to be the the artist advocate internally. And like, if I can do that for someone else, why can't I do this for myself? Yes, I'm in a totally different genre of music. Yeah, it's not going to be driven by radio. Success is not going to be that. So I think the best thing that I had going for me, like I said before, was I made mistakes on someone else's dime. So I certainly made a lot of mistakes when it was me, but I think some of the stuff that could cripple the company, I'd fuck up with it. Right. You were able to, to minimize the damage because you'd already done it in the past. Exactly. You got, and you got to learn from your mistakes. So, uh, so yeah, you know, we had good records and, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was off to the races. Yeah. As they say. Right. Right. Um, as things started to build and obviously like you were, uh, you know, you were in, were in hustle mode. Did, did, I guess that the business aspect of, uh, just in general of, you know, I mean, not only running the label, but obviously everything you did with profile, um, that either to, in my opinion, that either kind of comes naturally to a person or you learn it through doing, um, how did, what, what camp do you fall in? Did you, did it kind of come naturally to you where you like, all right, I understand how to put these things together and how to do this. Or was it a learn trait? I think it was, it was, I think the most important thing to bring to the record business, which a lot of people don't is common sense. Uh, and you know, I learned, I had been in the business for a long time. So I kind of knew how the business worked how it worked at that time, because I think that's an important thing to say, and applied my own thoughts to it. And, you know, it just slowly with time, you know, figured it out. Because the, the one thing that's really important is even more now than then, because everything changes so fast, is you got to be flexible and you got to roll with the changes and you got to be willing to listen. Um, because I think that if you're just stuck in your way of doing business with you and that's it. And this is the only way to do it. It's going to be a problem. So, you know, I think it was always listening to other people. And that's another thing I like about the, a lot of these indie labels and we've been around, you know, there's a lot of us that have been doing this for 15, 20 years. We've always, there's competition, but I think that everybody's always willing to talk and kind of the insight into their business. You know, it's competitive when you're trying to sign something, 
but you are also you're willing to have a conversation. So and, and talk about well, this is working for me, and this, this is what I do in this market, and uh, you got to be just open to listen and learn and change. Yeah, that's. I think that's a really important point because I definitely think there, especially when it's like you reach a, I wouldn't even say a certain level, but like when you've been, you know, around, there's definitely that level of respect and you know camaraderie that exists between labels where it's like, oh yeah, like you know, what do you what do you do for this? And then you're like, oh yeah, this mm-hmm. is here's my t-shirt vendor or whatever. It's like there because yeah, like you said, there. I mean, as long as your heart's in the right place, which hopefully in the independent record industry, you hopefully are there because it's not like you're in it for the money. But you you, you do have that, that cooperative spirit because otherwise, yeah, you're just kind of, you know, an island. And I find it so weird that th- there are independent labels that are successful and they do kind of just like stick to who they know and they don't, I guess, you know, they, they don't intermingle with one another. I find it kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. No, hundred percent. And, uh, you know, but I think there's a good community out there of people that kind of lean on each other. And, you know, I'm definitely like, I'm not a kid. So I'm, you know, the, the, the cred stuff, I want to put out stuff that I think is credible, but like some of the stuff, as far as the brand goes and the cred, and it has to be this or that, I never get caught up in, you know, I'm also a firm believer in things like A2IM and some of these indie trade organizations because that helps you run a smart business. So I try to balance out some of that, like, punk rock community and, like, the business community. Sure, sure. Yeah, there's – and I think, you know, you're coming at it from a, a unique perspective where it's like you uh, – and I, I think this is symptomatic of, obviously, the scene that you were raised in is the fact that it's like, yeah, you can be successful – and make money off of this thing, but you don't have to be, you know, a dick bag. Like you can, because mm-hmm. I, I think there's, there's that weird, you know, the, whatever people often refer to it as, you know, punk rock guilt where it's like, Oh, I don't know. Should I make money off this thing? It's like, yeah, yeah, you should, you should be compensated for it. But as long as you're not doing it by stepping on seven people in order to get it done, then, then you're okay. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I mean, the best advice I got, and I can't remember who, told me this this is go back years ago it was like don't be a dick and i was like that's it right that's, that's how you, your whole career should be <laughs> totally totally it's it, it seems simple but there are times where people get lost in that <laughs> mm-hmm. exactly uh, and so when did uh when did you feel that uh you know triple crown started to uh, for lack of a better term you know turn a corner where you started to feel like Oh wow! Either people are paying attention to it from a press perspective, or sales really clicked on this thing, or you know, when did you start to feel? Um, I, I guess maybe even breathe a sigh of relief or have some sort of clarity where it's like, okay, I feel like I've, I've set I've set myself and my family off on this right path, just from a, a, a pure living perspective. Yeah, I mean, I think it was probably it was definitely a couple of years in. You know, we were treading water, treading water. I also had the luxury of my. Uh, I don't even know if it's a luxury, but my experience allowed me to kind of do some other consulting work while I was getting this thing going and doing, I I did work for a couple of different labels. Um, and you know, it was probably, it was definitely, we took the chance with hot rod circuit because at that point our biggest successes were all hardcore records, you know, whether it was Mushmouth, who had the best breakdowns in metalcore, uh, to, you know, Scarhead, um, we are on circuit. I took a chance. I even put a buddy of mine's logo on it because I was like, you know, I got caught. I did something which I don't do anymore. I got so caught up in the like, we're we're so successful over here. I can't put out this record. This is not make any sense. And I finally just and I put a logo on that meant nothing to anybody, and because uh, it gave me peace of mind. And and we started having success in a totally different area. And I started to say like, hmm. You know, we weren't selling a ton of records, but that band opened up different doors for us. And I, you know, I believe that that the success we have with that band is what led us to brand new. And then obviously brand new, that changed everything. Sure. And we, because I, I mean, I remember at the time when uh, your favorite weapon, did that come out in 2000, 2000? 
2001, I guess. 2001. Okay. Yeah. At that time, that was like, it was right before I started working for Century Media. I was working at an independent record store in Southern California. And I just remember it's like, there are certain things that I would bring in because I was the main buyer. So there'd be certain things I would bring in where it's like, you know, I'm ordering five copies of this one thing. And then all of a sudden, you know, the next day I come to work and that's gone. And I'm like, oh, I'm ordering like 30 copies of that. Like, and that, that is 100% what it was for, for brand new first full length. Mm-hmm. Did, uh, I mean, I'm sure you weren't surprised because you obviously had that element of like, well, I have a confidence in this band. I'm signing them. There's a reason why I'm doing it. But were you uh, surprised at just the, the, I guess, the rapid ascension of like, oh my gosh, like people are really identifying with this? I definitely was. Uh, the only thing I think I was surprised with is how big it got on the record. I think we knew it was going to be something special. I remember getting the record back, and the record took forever to record from when we did the deal to when they actually turned it in. And uh, I knew we had something because you could just feel it. And I remember going to the release show on Long Island, and it was like mayhem. It was mayhem with everybody singing every word in this like weird club. It was like a teen disco. And you just kind of said, like, holy shit. I was like, something is happening. And it just, it just grew and grew. And, you know, so it was great. It was really just a, it was a fun time. The band worked extremely, extremely hard. And those songs just connected. And you could see it when they played certain songs live that it was like, holy shit. And I remember, you know, we didn't even shoot the Jude Law video till like, I think six months after the record came out. Mm-hmm. You know, we just weren't doing like a lot of videos. I was like, guys, Let's let's do this. We'll make you look bigger than you are because they were playing skate and surf. And uh, you know, I remember the year before begging to have them on skate and surf, and they played like shitty thing. And then the next year they're on the main stage. Um, so those to me were the signs of like we are going in the right direction. Sure, sure. Was there uh, was there a time before that? You know, because everyone always has those sort of like you know fork in the mo- fork in the road reflective moments of just like. Oh, like this, maybe, maybe I should just, you know, for you, for your sake, you know, maybe I should just stick to consulting. Maybe I should just do this. Um, were there any, you know, dark moments for you in that, um, in triple crown where you were just like, Oh dude, I can't like, this is a lot of work. I don't know if I should stick to this. I don't think there there was definitely moments of frustration and like fear of like, can I get through the next six months? Can I, you know, my, my background allowed me to look at like, you know, money coming in versus money going out to say like, Hey, here's how we can make this work. Cause I definitely don't want to be one of those companies that like, you know, gets a reputation. We don't pay, this guy doesn't pay his invoices. I think that's the worst thing in the world. So, uh, there were moments, I mean, I can't, I have a great support system, you know, in my wife, my family. And, you know, without that, we never could have, uh, we wouldn't have made it, you know, that's the bottom line. And uh, my wife was very understanding, and it helps that she works in the business also. But, uh, you know, there was definitely times where it was like, what the fuck? Right. So, uh, you know, but never like one moment where I just had to say, I, I just, I can't do this. I mean, there are times you burn out just as naturally, but, uh, you know. Yeah. And, you know, I think the biggest challenges came during the success of like, you know, six, eight months into brand new where everybody was circling trying to buy that contract. And at that time, they had a manager whose only goal was to get out of you. So that that was just more frustrating, pain in the ass stuff. And, you know, I basically sat down with the guys and I said, this is a short contract. If you take this ride, you're going to ride your own ticket. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, they saw, you know, when they were done with us, they went on to kind of lunatic deal. So, um, you know, and, and, and I think that's the honesty in the relationship with the band because – you know, to this day, we still, we were all close and, you know, I helped them with some stuff and, you know, they're good. They're great to us. And I just, I just like them as people. And, you know, I love that they're kind of forging their own unique path. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's a, it, it's a, I'm glad you brought up the idea of, of it's not so much the, the low points of where you're like, Oh, how's my cash flow or whatever. But then once success and a light get shined on you, that's when, kind of you know the rubber hits the road and you're like oh god like yeah you know the sharks start to circle they want to buy the band out you know sometimes you can get pushed around where it's just like oh no i don't i don't want to do this and i think that is sometimes people don't even consider that because obviously no one considers themselves like oh yeah i'm gonna be successful like and this is i'll i'll know that i have to handle this at some point but then once it happens you're just like oh oh so this is a thing i have to worry about i i didn't even i didn't even consider this yeah, exactly. 
you said you have you have two kids now? Uh, no, I have three. Okay, you have three. Um, and so you know, as you obviously being you know attached to whatever youth pop culture, what have you, the uh, I know just, everything about Ariana Grande. Anybody wants to know, right? But so do do your kids like have uh, you know an understanding of like oh like dad you know runs a record label and he puts out stuff like do they have uh, you know do they think it's cool or do they think it's lame? No, my oldest is definitely, you know, he's, he plays, he's been in a bunch of bands and, you know, it's not his music at all. Like he just, the, the one band, uh, he appreciates brand new because he just loves them people and he, he definitely appreciates it, but he loves Oh Brother. I mean, he's definitely leans towards the heavy thing. Um, and you know, he's talked about a career in this and I'm like, oh, really? Right. Um, so, uh, you know, my daughter and my youngest could care less. Sure, sure. <laughs> is it one of those things where it, I guess, you know, maybe as a parent, does it make it easier for you to kind of navigate your, because uh, how old is it's your son you're speaking about is the oldest? Yeah. How old is he? He's 20. He's okay. Not, you know, he's so, old. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, he's, <laughs> but so is it easier to kind of, I, you know, for you to identify like what he's getting into, like, you know, whatever he's, he's brought home in the past where you're just like, oh, okay, I, I either know that band or I know that musical genre. Does it make it easier to kind of, you know, connect or navigate with him? Yeah. I mean, definitely he went through a really, uh, he went through a weird period of like really being into like Norwegian death metal, like the most extreme shit. And I was like, I love it that you love music. I you know, and none of this bothers me. I care that you listen to shitty music. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. Cause I mean, some of the stuff was so extreme. Like, you know, I listen, I, I love to see, seen some of the bands cause I'm just curious. We have this obsession with like Alcest in 1349 because I'm like, it's so over the top and dark and crazy. So I think he gets a kick out of that. And I'm like, how many of you, your friends, parents and have this conversation with you. Um, And as he's, you know, grown up, his tastes have become a bit more diversified and intrigued. And, you know, I, you know, I've always tried to expose him to music. You know, I took him to CJ play with uh, Eric Clapton because I'm like, because he's a guitar player. And I'm like, you got to see this. And I'm like in awe and I look over and he's sleeping. (laughs) I'm like, get up, you idiot. (laughs) <laughs> so uh it's fun because i mean i'm sure i would have been the same idiot uh at that age if my dad ever thought to do that right totally yeah check this out it's like dude this could not be more uninteresting to me <laughs> but uh, you know the idea of taking him to you know black sabbath and you know meeting dio after was like never in my wildest dreams as a little runt metalhead did i think i'd ever be there with my son you know and that's it's kind of this, you know, got an opportunity because of what I do to do that thing. Right. Those, those surreal moments where it's like, this is strange. This is happening. Yeah. And that to me is better than anything else. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, the last thing I want to hit on before I let you go was the, uh, you know, the notion that, um, you know, I, I can almost guarantee that on more than one occasion, obviously, you've been approached to, you know, buy out and, you know, buy into the label and like all of these these certain business influences that have come from the outside. Um, you know, how have you, I, I guess, kind of handled them or examined them? Or is it a kind of a, a universal like, well, I'd be interested, but I still need to be running the ship. And like, how have you kind of navigated those those waters? Well, I I think definitely one thing is like, because we, we kind of have this eclectic mix and we have a solid business, we never were the flavor of the month. We never kind of had that, you know, outside of brand new, we've never had that. We'll have records that do very well in our world, you know, can sell 50, 60,000 copies, which, you know, as an indie label, that, that's great. You are, you've got a band who sold real records who are probably doing, you know, 500 to 1,000 tickets a night, getting good festival looks. So never that label that's definitely going to be that thing that's got to be flipped at that moment. I think what we do is a little too weird. There's been, you know, I think at the time you just look at everything. I'm certainly down for talking to anybody about that stuff. But I think the reason sometimes there's some hesitation is you sign these artists and they're signed because of me. So you don't want to leave them abandoned. So, and I, you know, I don't think that any of those artists really are, you know, the artists, like when we had success with plug-in stereo pop radio, we made a deal with Atlantic to move that over there. <laughs> I think when it's right, if it's out of our league, we'll, we'll talk to somebody about something because, you know, 
I'm, I'm always down for signing eclectic stuff, but I still think we have to offer value to it and we have to figure out how can we grow its audience. Right, right. Um, so, you know, I'm optimist. I think it's a good time for independent labels that know how to run a smart business. So, uh, and it seems like everybody's getting sold. So, I don't know. Maybe, uh, you know, who knows what that really means in the future. I, I mean, I can't help but be, uh, I guess, scared for any time I read a, you know, a press release of a large independent label getting sold to, you know, some some nameless company. Uh, well, just because it's like, I mean, you know, you've had this experience just as much as I've seen it where it's like, Oh yeah, like so they're just gonna fire seventy percent of the staff, and then um, that's gonna be it. And it's like it's so it's yeah, I can't help but be scared anytime I read those things because I've seen it unfortunately happen to too many of my good friends, and I'm sure you've had the same experience. Yeah, and it never makes sense to me because I'm like, if they're doing a good job and you can offer them some support system, and they can be a pro, they were obviously a profitable company before. I just let them kind of maintain and just give them a little support. So I never usually it's. It's based on, you know, a couple of artists, and they really want that artist. And, uh, you know, who knows? I mean, I did, listen, I went inside Warner Music for a couple of years to help start that uh, independent label group. And uh, I, my label was just distributed. I You know, and it was an interesting experience, and I learned a lot, and I think we had some success in there. But I always knew that at some point I was coming out and go full-time again with label. And, uh you know, at least Warner's was good. They were really kind of at least for what we tried to do. Some of the upstreams definitely got mucked up. Uh, I can't, you know, it was an interesting experiment. It should have been flawless and seamless, and they never were. You know, it's 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 definitely the old adage: there was too many cooks in the kitchen when it came down for uh, upstreaming. For sure, it's yeah, <laughs> and especially when it's like you can kind of see it before it happens. And then it's like, oh, oh, no, this isn't going to be good. And then, yeah, sometime. And then most of the time you're like, yeah, well, I guess that <laughs> that instinct of mine told me that it wasn't going to be good. It actually came true. But yeah, and on paper, it should have been a lot more seamless and a lot smoother. And I think it can be. But it was really rare that I saw it work really, uh, you know, really smoothly. And there were certainly some bands that definitely got damaged by it. And then there was bands who got damaged but had really good teams around them that figured out how to make it work. And some of those guys still have careers to this day. But some of them, it just really crippled them. Yeah, for sure. The the last last thing I wanted to hit hit you on was you know honestly why the reason one of the reasons why we're talking is because you emailed me about that that piece that I wrote on property of Zach and obviously you yeah. know it's it spoke to uh, you know still being engaged in music as you grow older and all that sort of stuff. Um, and so you know I wanted to give you an opportunity to, you know, kind of, uh, you know, express yourself. Cause obviously, I mean, you're, I'm in my late forties. We'll sure. put it, like we'll put that. it. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll keep it cloudy, <laughs> which is fine. Yeah. The, uh, I'm so, not a young man. No, 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 for sure. I mean, and I, you know, I, I knew that obviously, but the, um, the, the context where it's like, you know, people such as yourself, obviously like I look up to because it's like, well, yeah, like there's a precedent of a person caring about music when they're, you know, 14, 15 years old and carrying that for many, many years. I guess, what is it that, you know, you still obviously identify with in regards to not even it just being your profession, but just the fact that like you still care about music, even though you've been so heavily involved in it. Yeah. I mean, I still, I still have that like spark where I still get excited hearing a band that, you know, take me someplace that I'm like, holy shit. And, you know, and, and then there are bands where I may not a hundred percent get it, but you can go, see them live and understand that connection. And then you can say, yeah, I, I, it totally like a light bulb goes off and you can figure out how to work with it. Um, you know, and there's a look at, there's certain genres where I, I just, I can't, you know, some of that screamo like rise stuff couldn't distinguish one from the next. So we don't, that's not our world. I mean, I think that if we were going to jump on a scene and say, that's, we got to be in this, then I think that that would be time for me to kind of take a step back. You know, while it still is enjoyable and I'm happy with the brand, uh, you know, we keep doing it. But it's definitely, uh, you know, you definitely like you show up at some of these shows and you're just like, wow, I'm old. (laughs) No, for sure. It's like I I think uh, I've made the joke before where it's just like, you know, the moment that you, you know, you turn 25, that's when you have that that decision you have to make where it's just like, 
well, like, you know, I, I'm going to be that, you know, I'm going to be 10 years older than some of these kids. And like, am I going to be comfortable with that? Or am I not going to be comfortable with that? I mean, I can, am I going to stop going to shows? And it's like, you got to make that decision at some point. Yeah. I think the only time I get, you know, that gets weird is like, like you go to see a band that you're just, you know, you've heard about and you want to check out and, uh, you know, it's a hall show and you don't know the promoter, you just kind of show up and then you get the weird stares and stuff. And it's like, yeah, just here for carpool doesn't mind me. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Who's that? Who's that old guy in the back? It's like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm exactly. Here, I'm here to check out this show. It's like, sure you are, dude. Sure you are. <laughs> yeah. So that's the only time that's definitely kind of weird. And then, you know, there's some of these kids are, you know, I'm signing or talking to, or, you know, my kid's age and that's always weird. But I also think it gives me a different perspective when I'm talking to them and really just trying to be very blunt about what's going on and, you know, what, what, what's coming up, you know, it's a very paternal kind of way of talking about things. Yeah, no. And honestly, I think a lot of, um, you know, kids and bands, they don't necessarily know they're looking for that, but when they have that, it's like, Oh, that's great. like, yeah, there's a person who has been on the front lines for, you know, longer than I've been alive. And that's a, that's a positive thing as opposed to like, Oh, this guy's so old and out of touch. It's like, well, no, that's not the case. Like, look at, look at, look at the records I've put out. Yeah. And then they always, uh, the challenge for them is to try to get me and hang out late at the bar. And I'm like, real, you really want to hang at the bar? Come on. So, uh, (laughs) that's just not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. You're like, I I think nothing, nothing would make tiny moving parts happier than me shotgunning a beer, which I'm like, this is never going to happen. Right. (laughs) I I think, I don't think there's a better place to leave that, leave the last thought off than that. So (laughs) that image of me shotgunning a beer is wonderful. I know that for anybody that knows me. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Fred. I really, uh, I really appreciate hanging out. And I hope, I hope it's been uh, painless for you. Yeah, no, it was great. It was great. So that was Fred. Check out his record label, Triple Crown Records. Extremely consistent as far as the high quality of music that he is putting out. And uh, it's just great to see a person like him still engaged and involved and ultimately caring because that's the passion is the only thing that's going to keep us moving forward in this, this beautiful music scene we like to call home. So the producer, as always for the show, is Tom Richfield, who is back from tour. He's integrating himself back into real life and uh, hopefully that's not a hard transition i don't have anything else to say july record label month enjoy it enjoy all the stuff i'm putting out and uh, hopefully your summer's going well and if not let's turn it around let's make it happy hopefully this podcast will push in the right direction until next week be safe everybody